Kia ora. Welcome to Down to Earth Conversations, where we hear from ordinary people who are helping to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. I'm Andrew Dixon. It's good to have you here. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Down to Earth Conversations. Today we have a bit of a different episode for you. Uh, I was keen on sharing a bit more of my story with you. Uh, I do a lot of asking other people about their lives, about what they're up to, and I thought it was about time that I shared a little bit more of my journey. Uh, And yet, the premise of the whole podcast is conversations. So I didn't want to just have a big monologue where I talk at you and and, um, there was no interaction. So so I went in search of someone who could take over for an episode and uh, and ask me all those questions instead. So today uh, we have Down to Earth Conversations, the Spanky More Takeover Edition. For those who don't know him, uh, Spanky is a former punk and radio DJ uh, who is now an ordained Anglican minister uh, and is chaplain at the University of Canterbury. Spanky is also co-host with his friend Scotty Reeve of the 21 Elephants podcast, uh, which you should definitely go and check out. Lots of laughs, lots of insight, um, lots of amazing, crazy stories. So, um, so yeah, go check them out. But today, Spanky takes over. Um, yeah, this is episode 12 of Down to Earth Conversations. Here's Spanky Moore interviewing me, Andy Dixon. All right, so you're happy with your popper stopper? Yep. You see that's made out of pantyhose? Yeah. Do you like that? Yeah, it's pretty classic. Because every time um, every time I go to do a podcast with old Scotty, because we kind of get together once a year, yeah, we've lost all of the makeshift equipment that we had from the previous <laughs> year. So he was he was down only a few weeks ago, and I was sort of going through my wife's uh, pantyhose drawer <laughs> desperately, you know, finding old coat hangers to make a this is, stop. This is totally up my alley with the do what you can you like with that? what you have. Bit of tape? Yeah. It yeah, sounds just so. as good through a piece of pantyhose yeah. as it does through a professional popper stopper. Yeah. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Nice to see you, Andy. One of the kind of things in my life has been that I used to, for a number of years, um, be like a breakfast host yeah. on a radio station. Yeah. And so I used to get to do... I think it was about four interviews every morning. So I think I sometimes worked it out. I would have done thousands of interviews. And the key thing used to be that on any subject that you can sound interested for five minutes. You see. So that was always <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, right. that was my greatest weapon is that I could be kind of vaguely <laughs> yeah. speak. I don't think with intelligence, but that I knew one thing about yeah, yeah. any subject so I could talk about for five minutes. So um, I guess it's um, – I just find uh, it's always fun to sort of hear about people's stories, hear about their lives, yeah. understand what makes them tick. Yeah, cool. Um, so how old are you? I'm turning 40 in September. Oh, really? I'm turning 40 in November. On, how do you feel? On, on election day. Ooh. Yeah. How exciting. So I'm going to have a political That's party. A pretty exciting time, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Isn't yeah. it a great time to be alive? Yep. I just am so grateful for the politics of this country and the things happening. Um, how do you feel about turning 40? Yeah, it's good. A new new chapter, new... Well, it's all a new chapter at the moment because I'm, um, I'm... Well, by the time... People are listening to this. I'll be no longer a pastor. Really? Yeah, yeah. So we've had um, redundancy, restructure stuff happening wow. post post uh, lockdown. So um, yeah. So different. So that's a whole new. So right now, how do you, I mean? How do you feel about? How do you feel about that? Are you like? Oh, it's been a really excited tum- or tumultuous daunting? time. Yeah, ever since lockdown. But I got um, offered some some stuff. A uh, little part-time bits and pieces, but ended up making a call to to not take that mm. um, and to start a new chapter. So, yeah, having made that decision, I'm now feeling at peace with that and then just giving myself time to rest from having really emotional kind of period. But, yeah, with a little tinge of excitement in the background of I wonder what's going to happen here. And I guess inspired by all the stories of people that I've been interviewing so that, yeah, I've, I've got something that's kind of burning inside me that... Mm. Is inspired by all these stories to 
to then get out and do something that's going to make a difference. Well, it's, it's kind of that pregnancy time. You know, the latent, there's something growing, fermenting. Yeah. And yeah. sort of waiting to see what bursts out. Yeah, yeah I guess people don't think about, um, again, I work as a um, chaplain here um, at Canterbury University, but work um, for the Anglican Church. And, yeah, I think people haven't realised that it's not just in New Zealand that there's knock-on consequences mm-hmm. for, but actually all organisations yeah. have meant that they've all had to do some hard work to think around those things. Yeah. But uh, it was funny, I had a similar thing, as when I realised we were living in a time of uncertainty and nothing was sure. You know, in a year's yeah. time, yeah. no one knew. I also felt a strange exhilaration, which was like, when, yeah, that sense of what could be is quite an exciting mm-hmm. quite an exciting thing. So, um, Hey, so where did you grow up? Uh, started life in in the Hawke's Bay in uh, in Hastings, and uh, apart from a brief stint uh, in Papua New Guinea for a year and a half when I was two to when I was three and a half, um, I lived there right through till I was uh, mid high school, uh, and that was when we moved down to Christchurch for the first time. So, were, you, so were your folks doing what were they doing in Papua New Guinea? Yeah, so so people always assume that they were missionaries. I was going to almost um, say that. I yeah, thought, totally. Well, it might be something um, else. We're part of the the. Open Brethren Church, and there was a lot of missionaries from the Open Brethren Church over there. Um, but actually, Dad was an accountant for Nissan. It's a kind of mission work. Yeah. <laughs> we stayed, He had a two-year contract, and we, we were there for a year and a half, and then he got offered uh, his old job back at Ford to be an accountant in Ford back in Hastings. So, wow. So we came home. And you, of course, you have no memory of being over there. I've got, um, I've got memories, but I don't know if they're real, uh, because they look really similar to photos that we've got um, and so like once you put photos and stories together that creates a an image in your mind um, but I don't know how real those images are or not what did what did you do for fun as a kid like what was the thing that uh, filled sport, your heart sport with and music were, were my two oh. things uh, I, I started playing sport at a very young age dad played uh, top club cricket in Hawke's Bay and played rugby for Hawke's Bay um, back in, in the 70s um, and early 80s and so uh, it was a just part of family life that that sport was around. I don't remember listening to music on the radio until I was about 12 because we mm. listened to News Talk ZB and Radio Sport. Um, so yeah, but somewhere along... You, did you play cricket or was that your... I played thing? cricket. I played uh, football to start with and then switched to rugby mm. um, and... Played that right through uh, until my early twenties, uh, and but yeah, any sport I could get my hand on, I was I was keen on. And how did you do um, music? Or how, what did you play? Something? Yeah, so so music was um, uh, that started for me when I had my first holiday without my parents. We'd gone up to Gisborne where my grandparents were, and then they left me there um, to stay with my grandparents, and then I was to fly home, which that's a whole experience in itself because I get motion sick and. And I, it's a, like a half hour flight, and I threw up like seven times. Uh, but wouldn't want to sit next to you. But no, no. And well, my the poor guy who was sitting next to me, my my grandma had decided that that the um, bags on the airplanes weren't safe. Uh, they weren't thick enough or, or something for and your so, particular kind of vomit. So she so <laughs> she gave me a um, like a bread bag that was see through. And so here's me like hard out vomit, and eventually the guy next to me helped me put it inside one of the bags from the airplane, <laughs> so that he didn't have to look at it. Yeah. Um, but no, so while I was there for the week, my grandma was like, "Oh, well, better find something for you to do." So she went and bought a, a book called "Teaching Little Fingers How to Play," and just started me with some easy um, piano stuff. Wow. And when we came home, I'd enjoyed it, so I um, uh, I talked to mum and dad, and, and they got me a, a well, one of the teenagers from from church. Um, started giving me lessons after school so uh, that kind of started off a, a whole thing and get to high school and I went to a school that was rubbish at music so they um, they were offering really cheap lessons uh, so they could get better and so I was doing drums and guitar and vocals for a total of ten dollars a term not bad um, which was like less than one piano lesson that by that stage I was having like proper piano lessons so um, so yeah, I had about eight years of piano lessons um, and and played uh, guitar and drums and, and stuff right through school and, 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 and then went to performing arts school, so just carried that on. Oh, wow. So where mm. did you go to performing arts school? Uh, I went to Excel, which yep. is a Christian-based performing arts school up in Auckland. Um, spent a year doing this study, uh, 
and then they pick about a quarter of the first year students to go on a tour of the country. Uh, so my, f- I guess the the thing that I crack up about is that I'd got really into singing in high school, and um, and so I auditioned as a vocalist, and then they looked at at my application and saw that I played piano, and so they accepted me as a keyboard player. Um, which I don't know what that says about my vocal ability. <laughs> but um, but then after a year of learning uh, the keyboard, uh, they then picked the team to go on this tour and they picked me as a sound guy. Um, so, uh, yeah. It was, it, it was that, that was one of those funny moments where, as, as like a young Christian, I was all fired up and I was, oh, you know, God, if you get me on this tour, I'm going to go on this tour and it's going to be for you and, and all this kind of stuff. And... Um, I never thought at any stage to to put a, a thing in that contract that I was making that said like as a keyboard player. Yeah. Um, and so then I got like I'd made this commitment that if I get in the team I'm going, and then I got selected as the guy who only ever gets noticed when he makes a mistake. Yeah, sound gear, sound guys get a hey, you're ignored. And totally. see, you, how many if, times have you seen those people turn their, turn around hey, and look you, at the sound? If you do your job well, nobody notices. Like if you make a mistake, everybody looks. Yeah. And um, and I wanted to be the cool guy up on stage, so uh, so I was really gutted. But I'd made this commitment, so I, I followed through. And uh, what was really cool about it is that it taught me humility. Um, it taught me the art of being part of something without having to be the face of something. And um, and that was a huge life lesson for me. That that actually uh, that's carried on right through. That I'm really happy to be a team player. Um, and to just get and do the mahi without having to um, necessarily get recognition for it. Um, and, and actually, as I kind of came to that point <clears throat> that point in the tour uh, where I, I was okay with it, then one of our guys, oh, we, we mostly performed at school, so we had the school holidays, and one of the guys uh, who was a, a singer and a rapper, uh, he didn't come back after the holidays for some reason. Um, and so he wasn't there on time and so we're all on the bus going to the first school that we're going to perform at and all the dancers were like well who's going to do that song because we don't want to drop it because it's our best dance song it was like a remix rap version of staying alive by the Bee Gees right um and of course of course I'm I'm up the back of every performance so I'm hearing every word like up to four times a day um, at a range of different schools around the country, and so I just want, can you notice this sounds like a movie? Yeah, yeah totally. this actually sounds like what a movie is. <laughs> and and so I I'm up the back listening to all of this, and so I I knew all the words, and uh, and so we're on the bus, and um, they're like, oh, who knows all the words? And and I'm like, I do. And there's this like really awkward silence, <laughs> and and because they're, as they're all looking at this little white guy, and then they turn around, it's like. Who else knows all the words? <laughs> they do not. Do they yeah, do yeah. That? And, so um, and so then, yeah, it was it was pretty classic. But actually, I was the only one who knew all the words. So they were like, okay, well, we'll give it a shot. And there were two sound guys on the tour. So the other guy was going to take over um, when I went up to do the, the rap. And, um, and we had uh, a whole bunch of amazing singers and stuff. Um, some have gone on to do some, some great stuff. You know, so real good singers. And they were like, oh, bro, we'll back you up. You know, we'll... And you could just tell it was like a hey bro, we've got no confidence in you yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I got up and just you got this man. We have total confidence. <laughs> totally. In you. It's like, they so have um, no confidence in me. But yeah, got up and absolutely smashed it. And um, and they were all just like stoked as. And I didn't even hear them the whole time. They were they were going to back me up, but yeah. I, they were just speechless. Um, and so that was pretty funny because that that kind of birthed something in me, and and I really enjoyed it. And when the other guy came back, um, I ended up partnering with him to do it and he did the first verse and I did the second verse and um, yeah it was pretty classic um, It's an interesting um, story of um, that painful learning of humility yeah. which I think you say it fast like I really learned humility and it's yeah. like fuming behind that totally. death hey, all yeah. of those emotions yeah. bubbling up as you sort of work out am I going to die to this yeah. or what do I do with that yeah. uh, but then uh, also what birthing your love of performing yeah. and yeah, well, I guess I, I'd already had that love of performing, but the previous love of performing was about wanting my identity to be shaped by that, so that I became the cool guy on stage. 
Um, whereas having gone through that process of becoming part of a team without being that guy, I could then get up on stage and have fun and interact with people, and that was really enjoyable, but it didn't make me any more worthwhile than when I was back on the sound desk. Yeah. You know, and, and that was a huge thing that I needed to learn. How old were you? 20. That's pretty, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a young age to learn that very yeah. difficult lesson. I still haven't learned that oh, lesson, I, so I I'm think, very impressed. I think I've learned it many times since. Yeah. Um, you know, just when you're kind of forgetting it, you, you learn it again. Hey, um, so how did you go from, I mean, so was there a point in your life when you said, actually, I, I want uh, I want ministry and studying the Bible and yeah. pastoring. I want this to be a big part of my vocation. Like, when did that piece yeah, so, happen? So um, I did the two years of performing arts school, um, and then I went and studied sport management because um, I'm into music and sport. Uh, interestingly, in my last three years of high school, they were my two lowest marks every single year, and I just kept doing them because I was into music and sport. But... Um, but yeah, so I went and did a Bachelor of Sport Management and then the the year that I finished that degree, my lecturers offered me a job doing some tutoring. So I stayed on um, for, for a year, which turned into 10 actually. Wow. But um, I stayed on for a year and there was a moment in that year where our third year students were doing these presentations and I just remember sitting, waiting for the next guy to set up and, and do his thing. And I'd, just, I'd had an experience a little bit earlier in the year um, of being asked by someone that they were the main speaker at an Easter camp in Taranaki. And they came and said to me, Look, I've, I've been praying about who to take with me and I just really feel like you'd be a great person to, to come along. And so I've got six sessions to do. Why don't you take one of them? And I'd never considered doing anything like that. But I went, sure, sounds good to me. So I came along and, and I put a session together and did it and... Um, you know, it was it, it was really encouraging um, and something that I really enjoyed doing. Um, and so I had that kind of in the back of my mind. And then I'm, I remember sitting in this room, waiting for the student to get ready, going, I've just spent three years studying a degree that involves doing not-for-profit management, working with large numbers of volunteers, doing lots of public speaking and running lots of events, which is starting to sound quite a lot like a church. Mm. And I wonder if this is God's funny way of, of moving me towards that um, and and just kind of settled on that. And um, So that was 2004. And a few years down the track, that was still kind of just in the back of my mind. Um, and then uh, I was getting married in 2007. And while we are getting ready for the wedding, um, Beck said to me, look, I'm, I'm really over my job. Um, for a number of years, I've, I've wondered about going to Bible college. And so I'm thinking of maybe I'll do that next year. And I was like, oh, great, I'll support you. Um, you know, I'll, I've got a job, so I'll, I'll keep doing that. You can go. And I'll, it's something I'd like to do, so maybe I'll do that later down the track. Um, because at the moment, it, it makes more sense for me to, to stay working and, and keep supporting us. And I was telling, I had a mentor at that stage, and I was telling him that. And I just remember as I was saying it to him, like it just makes more sense, suddenly sounded to me like I'm really happy with money, thanks very much. Mm. And actually this would mean not having a lot of money. Um, and it sure did mean that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I decided that wasn't a good enough reason not to not to go, so... Um, so we got married in September, uh, we saved for four months, and then we both left our jobs and went to, to what is now Laid Law College, um, and lived off $350 a week, Wow! and our rent was $265 a week, um, and we dug into our savings to help us survive, and we got through the year, and um, and then I, the, the original plan with that was... Let's go and do that, and then we'll go back out into the workforce. But I just fell in love with it. So I was like, well, we're here. We're used to being poor. I'm really enjoying studying. Um, we've done a graduate diploma, um, and that then allowed me to get into a master's. So I went, oh, I'll just stay here and do that. Eh? 
and um, Bex was sick of studying by then, so um, she she actually got a job at, at Laidlaw doing student support, so it wasn't long before she had an office on one side of the library, and I was in the master's office on the other side of the library, and we could I could lean back from my desk and see if she was ready for lunch. That's so good. And um, and we lived a block away, and we could just walk there, and it was yeah, it was great. But um, so I was there, ended up being there for three and a half years, um, and then the I guess the real funny part about th- thinking about the humility thing, um, you know, I, I finished that just amping to to get into some sort of church vocation. Um, I was going to take over the world and you know, change things and, you know, I had all these great ideas of what church could be and, and, um, and, but there just wasn't anything that was the right thing for me. And I was trying to figure out what to do as I was finishing off my thesis and my, my, um, my boss from, uh, I was, I'd been working at Unitech up in Auckland doing the sport thing and I'd gone to part-time while I was studying, but I was still doing some stuff there. Mm. And she rings me up and she says, oh, one of the lecturers is going on maternity leave uh, this semester, would you like to come in and cover that? And I was like, oh yeah, okay. I, I kind of left that job knowing it's not what I wanted to do with my life, but um, but there's nothing else happening. So I went and covered that maternity leave, and and uh, two thirds of the way through that one, uh, another staff member got pregnant, and so then I covered her maternity leave, um, and then that happened two more times. And so I ended up doing two years of of working at this place that I'd gone. That's not that's not what I want to do with my life anymore. Yeah. Um, but I was back there going, okay, what's this about? And um, yeah, it was it was a really good time just to be reminded that actually just slow down a bit. You don't have to be in a hurry. It's it's not about going and taking over the world. You know, it's about going and being in the place that you're in and being who you are and making a difference. So it's it's interesting because like the threads of your vocational story, uh, I'm thinking of sports coaching and yeah. working in that yeah. working in that role at Unitech. Um, I mean, there are plenty of people that go and study theology or New Testament, yeah. whom their dream is I will go to Oxford and I'll yeah. you know and I'll get to lecture or research. Yeah. But it sounds like there's a, a deep drive within you that wants to work with people, be with people, yeah. develop people. I think I mean one of the real key things for me because I was I was trying to decide that I was, I really enjoy studying like if if someone could pay me to study I would study all the time um, assignments for me are a joy you know they're a problem solving challenge you know how many people will be hearing this totally right now? <laughs> and they'll be questioning your sanity everyone's switching off yeah um, yeah they really are they're, they're a problem solving thing that brings me great joy in going. How do I put these pieces together in a way that's going to get the best result? Um, and and I also just love writing. You know, I I love the creativity of writing, and so that gave me an avenue to do that, which was really cool. Um, so I was weighing up, like, do I carry on into PhD? Do I, you know, go down that route? But the one thing that kept just bugging me was that there were things that I'd gone to college and learnt that I really felt like the church should have taught me. And I was turning up going, wow, I'm 27 by this stage. I've been in church my entire life and there were things that I'd never heard before. Mm. Going, what's up with that? And so then I just developed this real passion to go, actually, I don't want to just sit in the academic world. I want to go back and help people learn to think well about this stuff and to wrestle with things that, that I'm wrestling with, but to not have to go to Bible college to do that. And for some people, that's the right place to go. But for a lot of people, it's not. So is, is, is the motivation for you particularly that you want to see people's minds sharpened and renewed? Yeah, and I I guess I really love that moment when, and, and this comes from the teacher in me, you know, I'd, I'd ended up finding out that the sport thing was actually just an avenue to, to teaching and that I really enjoyed that teaching side of things and the teacher in me just loves that moment when somebody gets it and whatever it is they get it and something changes for them and um, so yeah I I love sharing ideas and I mean I love this podcast for that reason you know that that actually people hear stories and they they get inspired they get thoughts going around in their heads and actually life changes for them 
maybe only in a really, really minor way. But lots of little minor things add up to big things. And so, so yeah, for me, it, it really is about helping people to take a step, uh, whatever that step looks like. And if I can be part of encouraging them as they do that, you look at strengths finder um learner is my number one strength mm. and so that then bleeds out of me as well in terms of i get excited about the stuff that i'm learning and then i just feel like i need to share it with the world mm. um, because i know what a difference it's made in my life so i like i like though how that connects with i think there are, you you experience people using well i mean some of what you're talking about is just curiosity isn't it yeah. you know being curious about the world and how it works and not intimidated by what you don't know yeah. which a lot of people are intimidated by what they don't know but also a lot of people appears to me like to learn new information so they can weaponize it yeah and show show others that they are um smarter or yeah. is more superior or whatnot and i love how that connects with your experience at excel of learning how do i shepherd my gifts and mm. and my motivations behind them to yeah. build up other people and so um, i think that's um that's a, a a lovely kind of way your journeys come together mm-hmm. that you've learned that lesson of I, this information isn't for me it's yeah. for others yeah you know and in, in the role of of pastor that i've been doing for the last five years a big part of it has been going how can i use the privileged position i have of this microphone to help people have moments that just really connect them and someone else, them and God, or just give them permission to feel what they're feeling. Or, you know, there's so much in church of trying to be something you expect that other people think you should be. So I'm that person who's going, no, actually, let's, let's learn what Scripture actually says about who we are um, and our identity because I'd spent that time thinking my identity was wrapped up in all this other stuff and the performance and whatever else. And it was learning actually, no, that's not where my identity comes from. And that really freed me up to go, all right, so actually this is about expressing that identity somehow. And so giving permission to people to be themselves is is a real passion of mine. And, uh, And yes, sometimes that does mean throwing in some ideas that are a bit different that that people haven't encountered before Um, and just steering things a little bit away from the expected conversation Uh, a classic example of that is that uh, in in my church experience and it's a lot different these days I think as it's becoming different in general society but mental health was not something that was talked about much Mm. and for people that struggled with it, um, like me, like my my mum, there was this feeling like I mean, you you didn't even get it diagnosed because you were just feeling rubbish and then going well. But if I'm a Christian and I've got God, why am I struggling? Because you know He's supposed to help. You know I'm I'm supposed to be better. And and to then like I I went in my early um, time as a pastor, I went through a really big patch of depression to the point where I actually went to the doctor and got help and realized that actually I'd been going through this my entire life mm. um, anxiety and depression and and it had never been diagnosed it had just been me feeling like I was a rubbish dad or um, a rubbish husband or you know or someone who couldn't cope with with when things went wrong or all that kind of stuff and as I started learning that about me I started sharing about that and the number of people who came up to me and was like, oh, me too, you know, that that makes such a difference knowing that that's okay, you know. And, like, oh, I hate playing the pastoral game of, you know, the pastor's more important because actually that's a load of rubbish. The pastor is just someone who happens to be in a role to help facilitate stuff and help guide people um, but is no more more or less important than anyone else. Mm. Um but if there's one way that I would use that positional power, uh, it would be to show my weaknesses mm. and my struggles so that other people can be themselves. You know, that that if if me talking about really struggling in my relationship with God makes someone else feel normal when they really struggle, then mission accomplished, you know. 
Um, the the last thing that that I'd want is for people to look at me and go, "Oh, here's this guy who's got it all together, and I'm useless because I can't." Whatever it is, but um, yeah, just to to have that joy of uniting in weakness, you know, has has been such a, a big thing for me. That's uh, I mean, if I was to sort of think through our conversation, it's a that's a pretty poignant self observation. Um, you know, what do you do with your power is a pretty yeah. interesting question. Um, of course, it's it's really been raised in recent times, Black Lives yeah. Matters and racial yeah. injustice and any number of issues. So, sort of what do you do with your power? Mm. Um, and I think it's really interesting. That I just think it's quite profound is that mm. as a pastor to say, well, whenever I get some power, I'm going to show my weakness mm. to give other people both permission to stop feeling shame. Yeah. Like, I mean, shame is of the devil. Yeah. You know, so like shame's bad news. Totally. Like not much good comes yeah. from shame. Um, and, and, and so often it's just a, such a sad layer on top mm. of people's pain and yeah. that God actually wants to, you know, Jesus wants to do something with yeah. that pain, but we kind of put shame, this yeah. shabby shame thing on. Totally. And so I think that is, um, I mean, that challenges me the way that I, how do I use things mm. when I get a chance to speak? Do, do you show that, that part, that mm. part of yourself? But isn't it amazing how people respond to it? Yeah, hey. yeah. And yeah, I mean, the church has been awesome at creating systems that create shame. Um, you know, at, at least the Catholics have got a confession thing. You know, mm. where where that you know that's part of being able to offload stuff. Whereas a lot of us, are, in our traditions, we didn't have that. And so you kind of, especially when when the theology is really black and white about this is this is good, this is evil, and then when you mess up or however you want to phrase that. Um, when you don't act in a way that you are expected to act, you you feel the shame of it. Mm. Um, and, I mean, uh, again, a classic example for me was uh, I was addicted to pornography. Mm. Um, and it was really close to ruining life completely for me uh, because there was so much shame attached to it. Uh, I'm a massive advocate now for seeing the the whole biblical story of sin as not a story of good and bad, right and wrong, but as a story of healthy and unhealthy. Mm. And going, actually, this this practice is an unhealthy practice. Mm. You know, there's... And scientific research around pornography shows that. I guess the, the quality of the research is, is like the research that was coming out about smoking a number of years ago and people were kind of going, ah, oh, nah, smoking's all right. But actually the weight of it's just building up to go, nah, it's, it's actually not. Yeah, and you, um, have seen, you have seen a real shift in tone where it was sort of Christian groups talking about this 10, 15 years ago and um, now you're now you're starting to, parents have become a lot more interested yeah. in what their, what their yeah, kids and, are watching. Yeah, and so, I mean, for me, I look back on my journey and... No one intended to heap shame on me. That that wasn't it wasn't like, oh you disgusting boy, you know, whatever. But just the system of this is what God wants you to be like and as you grow you'll become more like him and whatever and then you you do something that you feel like you're not supposed to be doing. The shame that comes with that is enormous. Whereas if it becomes a, a health thing then it's like, oh man, like I did this thing, I, I looked at this stuff, and actually, this is not a healthy practice. So how can I put practices in my life that are more healthy than that? Mm. And it becomes a, a much more open, easier to have discussion because it's not filled with all this heaped-on shame. And um, yeah, I mean, the, I say that now like it's a really easy thing. Um, it was a huge journey for me. It, you know, right through until well, actually, just just the other day was thirteen years um, that wow. I've been clean from it, uh, and just a completely different perspective on it now. But I mean, it was it was ruining things. It was taking up all sorts of time. It was keeping me awake all night, um, and then it was it was making me feel terrible about my relationship with God because it again it affected my identity. I I thought I was the scummy grotty guy that everyone at church looked at and went oh well here's this together guy you know on fire for god 
and in the background I'm hiding all this stuff from them because I don't want anyone to know that I'm not really that guy um, and stuff but um, but yeah so so again if I can speak out about that mm. and that helps someone then great and I've got no shame at all about it anymore because uh, a number of years ago I decided to, to write a poem about my addiction because uh, I do spoken word poetry and and I um, I thought well if I'm going to do this and my parents hear it they probably need to know what it's about. And so I organised to go and sit around at my parents' house and tell them about Gosh. my pornography addiction. That's <laughs> terrible. Well, it was terrifying. Well, you, you must have been... Ter- How old were you when you did that? Uh, so I was 34, something like that, 35. Did you give them any heads up? Or were you just like, hey, I'm going to pop around for a cup of tea? No, yeah, I just said, oh, are you guys home tonight? I've got something I want to come chat about. And so... Um, so I talked about it, and and uh, if you can talk about the thing that's been the most shameful thing in your life to your parents, you're pretty well on the way to getting past the shame of it. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, then like it wasn't a big deal to stand up in, in a sermon and go, you know, here's an example of what I've been talking about. Oh, I had an addiction to pornography, and and this is how it's kind of outworked. And um, your parents were good. Yeah, oh, that, yeah, they're great people, eh? And and um, wasn't was it all? Maybe, oh, it was super awkward. Super awkward. Super awkward. Um, There's something they, around. They still love me, and and you know the, I kind of I had to apologise because some of it was in their house without them knowing, and and you know, um, but we were able to to talk through that and and the the progress that I'd made and and mm. you know the the good things about it as well so it's interesting that process of becoming comfortable with who God's made you and who God hasn't made you to be and i think there's a real journey of putting to death the person you wish you were and accepting the person that God has made you to be mm. and um <clears throat> you know often a, a lot of these issues can spring up from the fertile soil of us wrestling with ourselves, mm. can I be okay with, 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 with who I am? Which yeah. sometimes involves you know shortcomings and whatnot. And it strikes me that there's two there's two kind of funny areas that people feel shame about all of the dark, whether it's porn or the dark mm. shortcomings of their life. But then they also feel shameful about their giftings and strengths. Yeah. So like New Zealanders bring an interesting yeah, totally. twist where we feel shame about everything, yeah. the good and the bad. Yeah. We sort of and. Um, <clears throat> I often think that's also a very interesting form of blasphemy, isn't it? Yeah. Where God gives you something and you proceed to tell the world that it's not there. Yeah. That. And um, is that an important part of sort of also what you see yourself doing is sort of trying to speak encouragement and sort of to draw, yeah. draw out people, to help hold a mirror up to who they are and yeah, what they are? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and like, again, a huge passion of mine is to see people step into the things that, that they love doing, that they're gifted at. You know, it's that classic thing of, uh, or like you're sitting in a car and you're trying to turn the, the wheels while you're stationary and they don't turn very well. But once you start moving, they turn really easily. Mm. And, um, and I think some of us just sit in that metaphorical car trying to turn something, but with no momentum behind us and actually just just getting on with something and and so that I mean that that's something that's good to remind myself about coming into this season for me of going I could just sit around and wait for a job to land in my lap I could just apply for a few things or I could just start some stuff and see what happens and yeah you know put some feelers out there and and see where the conversation goes and and is that I mean it's sort of the thread that holds many of the interviews that you do in this podcast mm. is people who have managed to put their I like to think of it like they're saying and they're doing together. Mm. What they say they think is important. Yeah. What they That vocational sense yeah. of what they feel uh, some sense of call to do or what their talents and giftings are or what their heart yeah. breaks for. Yeah. But what they say and then they actually also do something. Totally. Um, um, I, one of my favourite kind of little sayings, one that's been just probably one of my main ones in my life, is that God cares infinitely more about who we're becoming rather than what we're doing. Yeah. But... I think what people there don't realise is, yeah, which involves doing stuff. <laughs> totally. So that's how that's how yeah. that works. Yeah. Um, it's it's that whole like it's not about what you do; it's about having faith. Yeah, but faith without deeds is dead. You know, yeah. like if you're not doing something, you don't have faith. 
I think people go, I want to make a difference for God, but that looks like this real big change of life. You know, I'm an accountant. I don't want to become a missionary, so I'll just keep being an accountant. And and I guess the heart behind this podcast is is going, well, how can you be an accountant in a way that's shaped by the values that you hold? You know, um, <clears throat> how can you be a, a husband, a wife, a neighbour, a parent in a way that's shaped by those values and um, shaped by the story of reconciliation that we find in the Bible, a, a story of extravagant love you know what does that story do in your context and your so rather than having to change everything and go off and do something else to make a difference a lot of the time it's actually just changing the way you approach what you're already doing and and so I think a lot of Christians they're waiting for that big moment and they're waiting for God to come in and give them that real clear sign uh, and I always go back to I think it's fascinating when you read in Exodus when God God encounters Moses at the burning bush and Moses is like, oh, like, give me a sign. How, do I, how, how will they believe that it's you? And God goes, all right, I'll give you a sign. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you'll worship me on this mountain. It's like, if you think about that, the sign happened after he'd done the stuff. Yeah. Not before it. Yeah, it's not a great sign in lots of ways, is it? You know, it's sort of, <laughs> yeah. sort of like you can see so, Moses is like, you got me. Yeah, and, and yet, like, that's when you think of how life works, there's been so many times in my life that I've just done some stuff and then I've looked back and gone, man, God was all over that. Mm. Like, there was stuff that I couldn't have pieced together about what just happened, but it just happened, you know? And wow, that was, wasn't it amazing how much God moved in that space? What a great sign, you know? But again, unless you've got out and started doing the stuff, uh, started acting out of your convictions, then you don't give God that space to act. You, you kind of sit around waiting for him to to trumpet something to you. Yeah. Um, I love, um, I think it's St. Augustine said this, said um, sometimes, he kind of says this tongue-in-cheek, but he said... Uh, Love God and do what you like, and um, and I think <laughs> yeah. that one of the things that we struggle is we're yeah. not great at discernment and to realize that sometimes there are narrowing periods in our life yeah. where God's quite clear that yeah. you go do this. Often those are the things that you the last thing you do. I find is when God's like, yes, that's the thing I'd like you to do. Yeah. Um, but actually, there's a lot of broad periods yeah. where God says it's a playground and. Um, yeah. And you know how the kingdom rolls. Mm-hmm. Um, you know who I need you to be and who to become. And uh, mm-hmm. what would you like to do? Yeah. And we can do this together. And I think we struggle. That, I think, terrifies yeah. us more <laughs> yeah. than the narrow times when, when it's very yeah. clear. And I think that desire to to know the will of God is what actually holds a lot of Christians back. Because the they don't want to step out of that. And like that's a great thing, you know, that they, they want to do what God wants them to do. Uh, but I just look at it and go, well, God wants you to love God and love people. Go. <laughs> you know, that what is God's will? That we love God and love people. Carry on. Um, and, and yes, like you say, he'll step in at times and go, how about this thing? Um, but, you know, if, if you're weighing up two different jobs and, and they both resonate with you, I really don't think God minds which one you choose. It's funny to me how many people are desperate for authenticity. Mm. And to me, authenticity is when what we say and what we do yeah. begins to come together. Yeah. Um, uh, when we become integrated, whole people that are coherent and we make sense and we're not hypocrites. Mm. And and that's a hard road, but where we attempt to put those... And it's painful sometimes to put those things mm. together. But... Um, I think that's a beautiful call to action that you have where you want to see each person acknowledge mm. their gifts uh, and try to get in touch with their values and actually mm. work out what's their part of the kingdom they can they can embody so yeah. um, you know I yeah I guess the other thing that probably has been a huge factor uh, for a lot of Christians in terms of stalling that is the the um, 
Greek philosophical notion that we've fallen into as Christians of that this Christianity thing is about what happens after this life. And it's about getting to heaven. And actually, I mean, again, this podcast is based on the fact that Jesus prayed, like, God, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that, and that his kingdom coming was about actually seeing heaven open up in, in earth, on earth. And so it's not only about what happens after we die. Um, there's some of that. But actually, I think it's a lot more about what happens here now. And But if your focus is on getting to heaven... Then your <clears throat> then your focus is is initially on have I done the right things to get in the club. And then once you're in the club, there's not a lot of motiv- motivation to need to do much else because you've got your ticket. And so, again, that's part of um, what shaped me when I did my study. That I just suddenly realised that there's this richer story of this God who made everything and invited us to partner with him to create and to grow and to shape it. Mm. And that that hasn't always gone well, but that's still the invitation. And God's made a way for that to continue to be the invitation. And so his will is that we would partner with him doing that and, and bringing love into those places where there isn't love and bringing joy into those places there isn't joy. Um, you know, mourning with those who mourn, weeping with those who weep, all that kind of stuff. You know, um, I think those are the moments for me when, when we start to see that heaven is is a space here, and that's the stuff we miss out on when we think that heaven is a thing that we're going to sometime later. Mm. And um, yeah, so I've I've got a real heart for that to go. People wake up and see that God wants heaven here. Mm. And um, and actually, the church doesn't even have a monopoly on that. You know, I've got friends who aren't part of the church, who are doing some beautiful stuff that is aligned with God's will, mm. and and He is using that. You know, mm. He's moving in that space. And um, and I've got some people I know in the church who are doing things that are horribly not aligned with God's yeah, will. Totally. So you know, you never know. Totally. You gonna... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and that's like you've just got to try and keep not being judgmental about things and going. Let's all just keep having these conversations and keep working towards loving God and loving people mm. and seeing seeing what we can do with that. Yeah. There's a little uh, thing I think a guy called Mike Breen says that as a lot of people think of the gospel is very complicated. So what you do with something that's really complicated is then you have to make it easy. Said, but the truth is that the gospel is um, very simple. It's just very hard. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so, like you're saying, loving God and loving loving people. In one sense, it it is, it is quite simple. Yeah. Now, yeah. each of those words is very complicated. <laughs> yeah. Like, so we're not saying that that yeah. is like what, but it actually is that simple. The problem is just really, it's really damn hard. It like, really it's hard. really hard. Like when. Yeah. Someone hurts you horribly. Working yeah. out what forgiveness means is really hard. Yeah. Um, it's hard, hard yakka, and um, that really has resonated with me when mm. I realised that for all the knowledge I know, or you know, you mm. know, this is a learner. There's a lot yeah. of there's a lot of hustle that we can deploy to make even the simplest thing complicated. Jesus yeah. didn't really mean forgiveness. What he meant was yeah. this and that, but. Part of it is that actually there's a real elegance and simplicity yeah. to some of what Jesus yeah. came to. Came, what, and Jesus was saying, it's about me, it's about God, it's about other people. Mm. Um, so, well, hey, I just want to totally honor you and thank you for the work you do with this podcast, but also the way you encourage that in others. Mm. Um, it's lovely hearing. Um, I guess the way that this podcast is really an extension mm. of your own vocation and of your own um, your own sense of putting your saying and doing together. Mm. And I love though that it's something that encourages other people to do that as well. So um, thanks for sharing your story. It's been fascinating and challenging for myself cool. as well. So I love that idea of how you use your power mm. and what are you doing? You know, what are you doing with that uh, to encourage others? So thanks heaps. Thanks for taking over, speaking. All good. Thank you.
So that was my conversation with Spanky Moore. Uh, it was a bit different for me this time being on the other end of the questions. Uh, but yeah, we had a really good time. Uh, Spanky was great at just digging into different things, at pulling pieces together. Uh, and it was interesting for me to hear my journey coming together. Hopefully you found it interesting as well, uh, that there was something in there for you, uh, something challenging, something encouraging. I just offer my story to you as a gift as I try to help to bring a little bit of heaven down to earth. Thanks to Spanky for taking over. Uh, definitely go and check out his podcast with Scotty Reeve. That's 21 Elephants. Uh, really good podcast. Uh, definitely worth a listen. So go check it out. Thanks to show sponsors Ignition Networks for supporting me. And thanks to you all for listening. I really appreciate the support. And if you are enjoying these, if you uh, find value in them, uh, please do share them on social media. Share them with your friends and family. Um, word of mouth and, and social media are the best ways to get that out there. Next time we talk to full-time artist Michelle Green and we hear her story about her journey out of art and then back into it uh, and now what she does in encouraging people who may have been told they don't have what it takes. So join us for another fantastic conversation. Until then, me inoi tātou. E tō mātou matua i te rangi Kia tapu tō ingoa Kia tau mai tō rangatira tanga Kia mea te tau e pai ai ki runga ki te whenua Kia rite anō ki tō te rangi Humma e kia mātou ai nei He taroma mātou mō te nei rā Mūroa o mātou hara me mātou hoki e muru nei i o te hunga e harana kia mātou Aua hoki mātou e kawia kia whakawaia E ngari whakorangia mātou i te kino Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.